0: Hello again. As I said before, I'm Moss, one of the teaching pastors here at St. John, and um, I'm really excited for the series that we're doing for our Wednesday services during Lent. Uh, the series is called I Am, and, and what we're focusing on is the things that Jesus says about himself, the things he claims about himself. You see, we, we live at a time where a lot of people say a lot of things about Jesus. Uh, we hear a lot of different competing messages about Jesus, and so we figured. Maybe this is a time to let Jesus speak for himself. And so for the, the tonight and for all the rest of them, we're going to be looking at his own statements, who he says that he is. And so I want to just jump right to it. So let's start. We're in John 10 tonight. Uh, and this is what Jesus has to say to us in John 10. If you have a Bible, follow along. Otherwise, it's going to be on the screen behind me as well. Uh, John 10. Jesus said this, Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate... But climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full." I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. John 10. Now, I don't know about you, but this sounds pretty good, right? I, I don't think there's anyone that's going to hear this message and say, ah, Jesus this sounds kind of sketchy to me. I, I'm not sure how I feel about this Jesus character. I mean, This is, this is the kind of Jesus that, that makes people say, yeah, this is great. He says he wants us to have life. He wants us to have abundant life. He wants all these good things for me. And, and I think this message is probably not offensive or alienating to anyone. And in fact, if I were someone that, that wasn't a believer that didn't already have a relationship with God, this is exactly the kind of thing about Jesus that I would say, sign me up. That, that, that sounds good. I want a shepherd. I want someone that has all these good things in mind for me. That would be great, honestly. So I don't think there's any problem with, with this message. I don't think that, that Jesus himself is saying anything that would be a stumbling block for anyone. The reason I struggle with this message tonight, though, is that Jesus does say one other thing as he's making this great promise about being a shepherd and protecting us and keeping us safe and, and giving us an abundant life, uh, is that he very specifically calls out this one thing. Uh, and it's in John 10, verses, the last part of verse 3 and beginning of verse 4, he says this. He, he says that he, and he's talking about himself, the good shepherd, the good shepherd calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own He goes on ahead of them. There's this clear language that there are some sheep that are not his. They're other people's sheep. Some of these sheep, to whom he promises abundant life and protection and leadership and guidance, uh, to those sheep he's got all these things, but those are only to his own sheep. And I don't know about you, but I fairly regularly worry and question whether I'm actually one of his own sheep. I, I just want to be honest with you about that, because there are a lot of people that I disagree with who also claim to be one of Jesus's sheep. And I have to look at that and I have to say, either you're really wrong or I am. And I try to have the intellectual honesty and, and the open heart that, that says, I need to at least entertain the position that maybe I'm the one that's wrong. And if I am, does that mean I'm not one of Jesus' sheep? And I'll tell you, this story hit me in a very personal way a, a few years ago. There, a few years ago, there was a very good, close friend of mine. Someone who'd been raised with me, raised at the same church as me. Uh, was someone I valued and trusted and respected. It was a brother in, in the faith. Uh, you know, good lifelong Um you know lutheran and and then he got plugged in at a non denominational church, which is fine and and he started going there and i and i got to tell you his life was transformed is the best way to put it. Like, like this guy that was already someone that I respected and trusted as a fellow believer, uh, I saw him just take new action and, and new steps in, in faith and self-examination and, and doing things for Jesus. And it was actually really wonderful to see. It was really great to walk alongside of him and, and see this change in his life. And, uh, and he was over one day and, and we were just talking about some of the new things that he was thinking about and, and new life changes and patterns and but as he was sharing this, he just kind of casually off the cuff, like in the midst of talking and we were just celebrating all these new things that were going on in his life, he just kind of casually said, you know, when I look back, you know, I, I wonder if I was even saved before, before now. And I don't know about you, but, but, but that sent a dagger through my heart. I mean, this, this guy who, whose faith I trusted, whose faith I respected, and, and he's now saying, you know what, all those years that you knew me and that we thought we were Christians, you know, all these years that, that we thought we were, we were believers and doing all this stuff, you know, I don't even know if I was saved because honestly, my life is so different now. It's so transformed now. That old me, that that must not have been, that must not have been someone who was saved. And if that's the metric the measure that, that if our behavior dictates whether or not we're saved, if, if it's a question of whether you're a good enough sheep to be in heaven or not, then I'm not going to make it to heaven. And, and you're not either. And I hope that I'm not being offensive to you. But just to say, let's be really real. There's none of us that are going to be good enough sheep to earn heaven. There's going to be no perfection that we can attain. And, and when I saw this close intimate friend of mine say that he himself was questioning salvation because of his behavior, because he hadn't behaved well enough in his former Christian walk, that that makes me think, if, if that's what you're thinking, then we're all in trouble. I'm certainly in trouble. And maybe you're sitting here and, and, and you're scoffing at that because you're saying, well, we come from a different faith tradition. We come from a tradition that knows it is not by works we are saved. It is by grace alone through faith that we are saved. That's my tradition as well. But I got to tell you, we Lutherans are not immune to this attitude, right? Like, like we can say and profess with our lips that our behavior doesn't actually dictate whether we get into heaven or not. And yet, I sure see a lot in my own faith background and tradition of people that do in fact quarrel and argue and split over behavioral things. If you're not doing worship out of the right hymnal, then maybe you're not part of Jesus' flock either. If we don't have this, you know, if we don't kind of celebrate this German heritage, well then you know then maybe we're not really Lutheran anymore. You know, I, I and this is a little silly, but I used to work at a Lutheran church in North Dakota and if you didn't have green jello at the potluck, you might as well be Mormon. <laughs> what are we even doing here? But ultimately, isn't that the same thing as my friend? That, that thing, I'm not even sure I was saved before because my life wasn't regenerate enough. It wasn't transformed enough. But, but if we're saying we've got all these behaviors that we, uh, that, that we have to lift up and say that this is what defines whether or not we're a good sheep or not, that then we ourselves don't maybe have this grace by faith alone thing figured out either. And and just to even say this, this happened before my time. I wasn't here for this, but I think some of you were, but I know this, this very church went through a thing where, where we had people leave because of differences over worship style and how prominently the organ and the choir figure in. And, and that's not personal to me, that, that happened before me, but I gotta think that was personal to you. I gotta think that many of you sitting here, you had friends, you had intimate acquaintances, people that you walked alongside in faith with, and, and they said, this is a big enough deal. We gotta split up the flock. We thought we were all part of one flock here. Well, we're not. And, and it's one thing if there's a sin issue. It's one thing if, if someone's truly doing something that is against God and against his word. But when it's a behavioral issue and we're willing to split the flock over it, I've got to think we don't have our lives and our faith figured out either any more than this friend that thought he wasn't saved because his life wasn't good enough. Now, thankfully, because you and I are good Lutherans, maybe some of you here, we have a backstop to this, right? You see, we know that our being in the flock is actually nothing to do with our behavior, right? We know it's not by works. We know that it's by right belief, right? We know that it's the people who believe correctly are the ones who are in Jesus' flock. But how much is needed to be correct for you to believe correctly? I mean, I think this is an honest question facing me and many of us today. Do you have to believe in six day creation? Or if you think that there's evolution, does that mean you are no longer in the right family of belief? You're in a different flock than we're in. I mean, maybe the Apostles' Creed is good enough. You know, maybe, as long as we all believe in this Apostles' Creed, this thing that Christians agreed upon thousands of years ago, maybe that's enough. Historically, for our own denomination, that's not enough. You know, our denomination says that to be a good, faithful member of our flock, you also have to subscribe to this thing called the Lutheran Confessions. How many of you have heard of the Lutheran Confessions? Okay, not that many. Here's the thing. I'd never heard of them until I went to seminary. Which is especially troubling because I also found out that as someone who was raised Lutheran, I actually swore when I was 12 to defend the Lutheran confessions to the death. And if you were confirmed in the Lutheran church, you did the same. Which was especially worrying to me because I think, well, shoot, what all did I agree to? What, what am I supposed to die for? Like, I didn't even know this. You know, for the record, many of you do know part of the Lutheran Confessions, it's the Catechism. If you've ever heard of the Catechism, that's one piece of our Lutheran Confessions. But there's a lot more. There's something called the Small Called Articles. And apparently we have to agree and believe to those to be good Lutherans members of this flock. And 90% of people in our congregation, I don't think have ever heard of them, let alone read them. And so I get to seminary and I think, well shoot, I've been a good faithful Lutheran boy my whole life. I didn't even know this thing existed. Was my belief right enough? Was it accurate enough? And if I wasn't scared then that maybe I'm not really part of this flock, I then have seminary professors who say this, and not only them, uh, Timothy Keller, who's a Presbyterian pastor and and, uh, theologian that I really respect and admire, they say this, there's not multiple doctrines of Christianity. It's not They they maintain very strongly. It's not like you could say, I believe in the Jesus Christ part, but the six-day creation, that's kind of sketchy. I'm not sure I buy that. Or or the virgin birth, that's a little weird. Uh, They're they're very adamant that from the theological, intellectually consistent perspective, we don't have multiple doctrines that you can pick and choose from kind of a la carte. You know, I believe in this one, not that one. They believe that we, and I think they're right, that we have a, a singular body of doctrine. We have one entire body of doctrine that's made of all these little things, and if you take any part of it out, you do not have right doctrine. It would be like, if you say, I don't believe in this one thing, it'd be like saying, well, then you've just cut the arm off of somebody's body. i like, you can technically do that, and maybe they'll live, uh, but that's not what a body is supposed to be. And so the position is, no, if you don't have all of this stuff right, then your belief is not correct enough. And in my time at seminary and in the studies that I've done to become a pastor, i got to tell you, the more I've learned and the more I've grown in theological correctness, uh, you know, hopefully, the more I've grown in belief and theology, the more I've been confronted that it is not enough and it will not be. If I could spend a lifetime as a good, faithful servant in my church and not know half this stuff until I got to seminary, then that means I wasn't part of the flock until I got it Right? And if that's the standard, then again, it's not just about behavior, but it's not even about our belief. And if you ever want to really question your good enough Christianness, I recommend it to all of you. Go sit in on seminary. Like, seriously, that's going to be a good corrective for anybody. Because I come out of it far more shaken. And a lot of the blithe assumptions I used to make, well, of course I'm in the flock. Of course I'm fine. I I don't make them anymore anymore. I'm far more concerned about whether I'm in the flock or not. And and I got to tell you this, I'm also far more careful before I say that someone else is not in the flock. But if we can't figure out who's in or who's out by, by our behavior or by the correctness of our beliefs, then what do we have left? I mean, surely we have to take a stand somewhere. Surely there has to be some defining factor for who's part of the sheep and who isn't. And I think there is. And, and I think Jesus gives it to us in this passage we read today. You see, what's interesting is he doesn't call out the sheep's behavior. He doesn't say you have to be a good sheep. He doesn't call out the sheep's theological correctness. He doesn't say the sheep had to go to a seminary. But he gave us one very specific detail about the sheep that are his sheep. And this is the detail. His sheep follow him because they know his voice. His sheep follow them because they know his voice. And we build a lot of fences around ourselves. We do a lot of things to protect the flock and and protect our own communities. But this, to me, is a statement that is far more freeing than any fence that we could build to protect ourselves. Because it's saying that it's just enough to know the voice of your shepherd. And if you know his voice, then you're in the flock. And if you don't recognize his voice, if his voice is that of a stranger to you, well, then you're not in, and you you might maybe don't even care that you're in, probably at that point, if he's not a voice that you know and trust. And this is hope to my ears, because I think I can recognize a voice. I know for sure I can't live perfectly. And that my behavior can't map up to this perfect standard that God set. And <laughs> I'm learning daily that I will never know enough. But I think I can recognize a voice. But that's not the easiest thing in the world either. So I want to just share with you my own struggles as I've thought about what does it mean to know my shepherd's voice? What does it mean that Jesus is my good shepherd? And so first, there's a warning So here's how Jesus continues this statement. He says this about his sheep. He says they won't follow a stranger. They will run from the stranger because they don't know his voice. You see, a sheep actively discerns, a sheep in Jesus' flock, discerns the difference between the voice of his shepherd and other people's voices. And my goodness, I think that is harder now than it has ever been in the history of humanity. You see, it's, with the proliferation of information that we live in now, this age of, of uh, almost infinite resources and, and being able to read every book that's ever written, there are so many voices out there, far more than there used to be, that distract us from the true voice of this man, this God, Jesus Christ, who says, I am the good shepherd. And I'll give you a personal example. I, as you've probably heard about me or can guess from the job that I'm in, I'm a big fan of Martin Luther. I think Martin Luther was a pretty amazing man of God, steered the faith. Of pretty much everyone in this country who is a believer is a believer because of what Martin Luther did. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Martin Luther. And Martin Luther said, and I heard, first heard this quote when I was a teenager, Martin Luther said, I would rather be ruled by a wise Turk than a foolish Christian. And I thought, all right, Martin Luther, he's got some wisdom. Like, that's a good point. You know? like, do, we, do we actually need our leaders to be like, moral pastors and, and, and leaders of, of faith and morality? No, apparently we don't. Better to have a wise... And Turk in the 16th century was just simply a Muslim, right? Um, if you didn't know that historical difference. So when he's saying that, he's saying, I'd rather be ruled by a wise Muslim than a foolish Christian. All right? And I steered my life around that quote. I made political decisions. I voted in certain ways because of that quote. Like, that quote gave me a lot of direction and guidance for my life. And then, while I was at the seminary, I took a class on Martin Luther's life. And guess what? Never said that. (laughs) Not even close. In fact, if you look at his teachings, Martin Luther was very consistent that, no, you want Christian leaders. You really want your princes and and your kings. You want them to be Christians. Uh, And he's got some throwaway answers. Like, people say that the government of the Turks is good. And he's like, but I don't buy it. I think you want Christian leaders. It's the opposite of what Martin Luther actually believed and stated through multiple essays and sermons and tracts. And there's all this evidence showing all the ways he believes the opposite of that. And I'm sitting here going... I thought I knew his voice. I thought I knew what Martin Luther stood for. I thought when I read that, that all right, that sounds right." And I actually steered my own Christian walk, and especially as it pertained to politics, on this quote, and I found out I didn't know his voice. I was wrong. And right now I see such a similar thing facing all of us. I I don't know what your voices are. I don't know where you get your news. I I don't know who's claiming to speak for Christianity and for Christ in your sphere and what you're exposed to. But what I know is a lot of them are disagreeing with with each other. And so a lot of them must not be Jesus' voice as much as they claim to speak for him. And I know just in my own life how easy it is to be complacent about that, to think that we're on track with the voice of our Savior, but to know that we're actually not. Or to find out eventually that we're actually not the way I did about Martin Luther. So the first thing is just to to evaluate and think through. There are so many voices we take for granted. And I'll even throw myself under the bus here. If Pastor Dion or Pastor Howard or I, if we say anything that goes against the voice of Jesus that you see it, then you've got to throw us out. Right? We, we can't be uh, against the voice of, of our own shepherd. And if we are, you've got to prioritize him. Now, just so you know, all three of those names I listed, we spend our lives trying not to be false voices. So if you do notice we do it, please just tell me. <laughs> Send me an email or a phone call or something. Don't just assume that I'm like trying to be a heretic and, and throw people out and you know, kick them out of the flock or something. I, like, we try our hardest, but even our voice has got to be second to the true voice of the good shepherd himself. So that's the first thing. But then the second thing is how do we actually learn? That voice, the true voice, not the false ones, not the distractions. How do we learn the true voice? And I'll tell you this: I I learned the the positive side of this as well. You see, when I was in high school, I was in a select soccer club team, and um, but it practiced forty-five minutes away from where I lived in the school. And but one of my classmates was also on that select team, and he got his driver. He was like a year older than me, so he got his driver's license way early, and so he would drive us to practice three times a week, 45 minutes each way, hour and a half in the car. He also got a car like the instant he turned 16. I got my sister's hand-me-down car when I turned 20. Um, but anyway, so he was able to drive us to practice, right? And he had a whole CD sleeve of CDs, and they were all terrible. His taste in music was the worst. I don't know how I was with it. it. was all like death metal and weird stuff. But he had one section of, of CDs that we could actually agree on. He owned the entire collection of The Beatles, uh, discography, right? I think we got pictures. So, so this is what he had. We had it on CD. It's four discs. It's like two different volumes, four discs, 320 minutes of every Beatles song ever. And it was the only thing he owned that we could both agree to listen to on this drive back and forth. So from when I was 15 to when I was 18, for three and a half, four years, three days a week, an hour and a half a day, I listened to the Beatles discography. I know every song, every word of the Beatles. And then a few months ago, I was driving in my car, listening to, I'm still discovering the St. Louis radio stations. I'm still finding new ones. And I just discovered a new one that was actually playing some good songs. And it played a song I had never heard before in my life. This is the song that it played. Good song, right? I spent three very confused minutes in the car. Because I'm like, I know every Beatles song ever. I've never heard that song. But gosh, that sounds like the Beatles. But it also sounds like a James Bond theme song. And I I don't think the Beatles did a James Bond theme song. But it sure sounds like them. Now, some of you know the punchline. Do you know who that was that sings that song? That's Paul McCartney, lead singer of the Beatles, with his second inferior group, with the very lame name of Wings. It turns out the Beatles didn't do a James Bond theme song, but Paul McCartney and Wings... Sure did. And in that moment I was confused, but I was also really proud because I was like, three and a half years of listening to the Beatles did not serve me wrong. I recognize that voice anywhere. And I think that's a picture of what it can be like. See, even if if we spend our lives and our time learning the voice of our good shepherd drilling it in so solidly, you know, the equivalent of four years of an hour and a half in the car, listening through it all the way, that even when it's weird, even when it's different, even when it comes at us in a way that is unexpected, we will know the voice. The same way I recognized Paul McCartney, even though I was totally confused as to what was happening, I knew that was the voice that I knew. And that's what we can do. And if we can find a way to hone in, to lock down, to to spend so much time learning the voice of our shepherd, then we cannot be led wrong. In fact, we can then trust him to do what he says. And what he says that he does is this. He says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd doesn't Make demands that he's not willing to meet. The good shepherd doesn't diminish or denigrate people who are unlike him. The good shepherd doesn't prioritize power over love and mercy. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And that's a voice that I can trust. And if I can trust that voice, then the answer to whether I am in the flock or not, is no longer, did I behave right? Did I believe right? Did I do anything right? The answer is, did he lay down his life for me? Then I'm in the flock. I don't have to worry that I'm the one getting culled out. I don't have to worry about some sheeps and goats, and the goats over here, and if he died for me, then the voice of my shepherd says, I am in his flock no matter what I do. No matter how far I go. And then this is the picture he paints, not in our passage from today, but in Luke. In Luke, he says this about being a good shepherd. He says this. He says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, well, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. See, and notice again that... They're struggling with the same thing I'm struggling with. They're trying to figure out who's in the flock. They say, well, we thought we were in the flock. We're the Pharisees. We're the teachers of the law. We're the ones that pay attention to the voice. But he's eating with these sinners and tax collectors. But then Jesus says this. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he puts it joyfully on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And what I realized at the end of all my reflection and struggle is that I was worrying myself and losing sleep over a question that wasn't even in Jesus' mind. See, I'm worried about who's in the flock and who's out. I'm worried if they're in or out. I'm worried if I'm in or out. And at the end of the day, Jesus is saying this, no matter where you go, I will find you. I will bring you back. There is nothing that will stop me from lifting you up, putting you on my shoulders, and bringing you back to safety where you belong. flock question doesn't even matter because your good shepherd loves you, does anything for you, and you can trust his voice. Amen. Now, when you came in, you might have noticed you got a little card. We're doing this each and every Wednesday for this because we want to give you a chance To not just hear God's word, but to do something with God's word. And so the question that I would ask you to spend a few minutes reflecting on is this. Who are the other voices that try to cloud or turn you away from the true voice of your Savior? And then secondly, to think about this. What can I do to learn that voice of my true shepherd all the better? We're going to play some music. We're going to give you a few minutes. There's no rush. There's no hurry. Uh, and then after a little bit, we're, we're going to play a song. It's a new song. You, don't, you won't know it, but it's a song that's going to be designed to help continue that reflection of what your good shepherd has done for you. So take your time, write some things, and just spend some time talking to God right now.